Awesome. Hi, bud. Hey, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. Ephesians chapter, I'm getting a little bounce back. Ephesians chapter 4. That was just, I love when we have our kids come in for the second half. That was just amazing today. And I'm, uh, I know I joke around about children's ministry and things like that, but I, I love uh, the kids. I love people that work with kids, and I love how our children's ministry is building up. The children of our church, your kids, and uh, what they are preparing, young champions for Jesus Christ. Uh, the tie, I, you know, I, I hear people, I, this isn't anything to do with our sermon, but I'll just say this. I, I hear, and even sometimes I'm, I'm guilty of it, of bemoaning the, the state of things in our society and what our kids are up against. You know, Jesus said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The word says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. The word tells us we're more than conquerors. That doesn't just mean adults. That means our children as well. And if we equip our children with the word, if we equip our children with the tools they need, to stand for Jesus and fight the fight, they will. I believe kids, uh, you know, I hear all the time kids are resilient, and I, I hear that, uh, but I think kids are, are fighters and they're stronger than we give them credit for. And if we will challenge them in their faith to the level that they understand, don't get me wrong, but if we'll challenge them in their faith, they'll rise to it. I uh, The message that we're going to be... Uh, bringing today, the next couple of weeks, I always love getting to this topic because I was, I was born into a family that was involved in church. When my dad was in the Navy station in Puerto Rico, I was born and uh, I, I was b- born on like a Thursday, came home and, and I was in church. As soon as, I, as soon as my parents could get me to church, I was in church. I grew up in church. I loved the church. I fell in love with church, with ministry, with, with the idea of the church, with the people of the church, with the fellowship of the church. It was in my heart. Long before I ever surrendered my life to full-time ministry, I loved the church. I loved being around it because our family, everything we did centered around it. When I was a kid, uh, we went to the, the churches we went to had Sunday school at probably 9.30 or 10 o'clock, then Sunday morning service. And then the one that we spent most of the time in Virginia, in Maryland, when my dad was stationed at Bainbridge, they had what was called training union in the afternoon, which was afternoon Sunday school, basically at 5.30. Then at 6.30, we had the evening service. And then we had Thursday night Bible study and prayer meeting. And the churches, I, the, that church that I went to, prayer meeting was prayer meeting, man. You had a Bible study, but people got a hold of God on, the, on those nights. And then in the summertime, we had uh, camp meetings. Anybody ever been to an old-fashioned camp meeting? Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. We had our church, uh, uh, Maranatha Baptist Church in Elkton, Maryland. They, they built, they, they owned, I don't know how much property. It was all woods. And in the woods, they cleared out some area, and they built an old tabernacle, an open-air tabernacle. It just had a, a roof and poles. There were wooden benches and sawdust on the floor, man. And every summer, we had two weeks of camp meeting. And camp meeting was crazy. You'd get there at 6 o'clock to get a seat, and there would be music, and then the first preacher would get up. And they'd always bring in an evangelist. And 
Billy Kelly, Bobby Grubbs, guys from the South that were just, I mean, hellfire brimstone evangelists. And then we'd sing more. And then the second evangelist would get up and we would be there until midnight every night. I loved it. I loved the fellowship. I loved the, the idea of church. So the idea of church and the, the structure of church is, truly is part of my DNA. And it was long, part, long before I, like I said, long before I ever surrendered my life to ministry and really understood what church was and was truly about and what my role and responsibility was, I fell in love with the church. So when I get to preach about the church, I love, I love it because that's, my, that's the love in my heart is God's church that he established. I love, I have the privilege of watching my oldest son lead a church in worship from, from his, his spirit, from deep in his soul. My wife, I love, I get to see my wife involved in ministry and doing these. I get to see my two youngest boys love that Gabriel and Michael, if any of you, and I, I think I've said this a few weeks ago, if any of you were ever here during the week, they drive us crazy. Can we go down to the church? Can we go down to the church? Doesn't matter who's here. They just want to be down here. They love it. And I let them because I want them to fall in love with the church like I fell in love with the church. Because if you love being here, if you love being part of it, then your heart is going to be open to what God has to say to you. And if your heart is open to what God has to say to you, then your heart is going to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's not going to matter what role you play. It's going to matter that you get to play a role in your local church. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. We've been talking about uh, what Jesus did, the things that Jesus did to set the example for us for a life well-lived and a life that is uh, effective and strong and matters for ministry. We've already looked at the fact that Jesus managed his personal life by living obediently to the Father's plan. He did it with character, and he did it with integrity, and he valued truth. We saw that he managed his message effectively and consistently. And now lastly, we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus managed his actions rigorously. Jesus managed his actions rigorously on a daily basis. Jesus knew what he was going to be leaving his followers in, to, in the world to do. When he left, he knew what he was leaving his followers to do. And he knew what was coming down the road for those who would choose to follow him. Therefore, he made sure that whatever he did in his life, whatever actions he committed in public or in private were managed according to the principles of the word which was already in the world and the word which was coming for his followers. Jesus knew the challenges that we would face in our personal lives. Many of you raised your hands this morning asking for prayer. Jesus knows the challenge, the struggle you're going through. Jesus knows what you're facing in your life right now. And he knew what you were facing and what you were going to face. Therefore, he gave us the example of how to deal with it. He knew that we were going to face challenges of consistency and commitment. When we talk about local church, when we talk about being a part of a church, that is one of the greatest challenges that any of us have. Challenge of being consistent and being committed. Those two go together. 
being consistent in your attendance, and being committed to the ministry of the church. Listen, when I talk about uh, being faithful to church, getting involved in church, I'm not talking about being committed to me because that's far the, the farthest thing from the truth. What I'm talking about is being committed and being consistent to the call of Jesus Christ on your life through the vehicle which he has created to reach the world with his message. He knew that we would be facing challenges of fatigue and disagreement. He knew we'd be facing challenges of false teaching, disillusionment, and even dysfunction within the church and within our lives. So he lived his life as an example for us to study and follow with the hope that we would use his example to be better individuals and function better in relationships with others. We say around here a lot, it's one of our hashtags. They actually use the sign. I spell it out. They use the, the thing there. Relationships build churches. That's our, that's our number one motto here. Relationships build churches. The, the, the more connected you are with people, I mean, look around. Look around. This is summertime. This is summertime. Look around. Look at all the kids that we had here today. Those of you who have been here for more than three years, you know where we were those three years ago. And now you look around and relationships build churches. Getting to know people, getting involved, talking to people about your faith, living your faith out loud, it does make a difference. Jesus laid down an example for us in how to live in relationships, relationships that include being part of a local church. And before we jump into our roles, which is what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about how we use our, our talents and our gifts and our abilities within the structure of a local church, both in the church and ministry outside the walls. I want to address something. My heart was really, really heavy with um, this idea because it's going around so much today. Tim, I'm sure you experienced it a lot in you and your wife in years of ministry. People who feel that the church is kind of passe. The church is not relevant anymore. The church is not important. The church isn't really necessary. We don't necessarily need to, to I, I don't have to go and worship in a building. Well, let's talk about that myth, shall we? And I'm not going to give you my opinion because my opinion and $1.89 will get you a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts, right? We don't say Starbucks because we're New Englanders and we run, well, and we run on Dunkin', right? <laughs> <clears throat> but I want to give you some biblical truth about the church because there are those, I mean, they, listen, folks, it's rampant. Osvaldo, I'm sure you saw in ministry when you were pastoring a church, it's all over. People don't think that they have to be a part of a church. I can worship God in my home. I can. There's a small grain of truth there that you build an entire argument that does not hold water. When we're talking, this is very important to understand, when we're talking about biblical truth, and you're trying to make an argument about biblical truth and things that matter in the Bible, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm being totally honest here. You have to have a biblical argument and basis for your opinion, for your argument, or it doesn't hold water. So I want to share with you um, a small biblical argument that tells us that 
The truth of the matter is that the local church is God's chosen vehicle for reaching the world, the lost world, with his gospel message. That, as you will see here in just a minute, is an indisputable biblical fact and correct doctrinal teaching. So let me give you some biblical teaching on the local church. The model of the church begins in Acts chapter 2. That's the model. Jesus said in the Gospels, he says, I will build my church. Now he's talking about the universal church. I don't know where you stand. If you're universal church, local church, I believe in both. I believe that there is a universal body of believers, but I believe the ministry of the church is done through local assemblies. Okay? And, and we'll show you that here as we, as we go through it. The model of the church begins in Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. In verse 42, it says they broke bread and fellowship while studying and supporting each other. Verse 46 says that they met together in the temple and in houses and worshiped together. Back in those days, they were meeting, the Bible said, daily in the temple and from house to house, sharing meals and studying together and, and, and learning about their faith. The growth of the church is marked throughout the book of Acts by the phrase or something similar and were added to their number. In Luke 14, 23, Jesus commanded his followers to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Come into what? A body of believers joined for fellowship, praise, and support. Acts 1, 8 tells us to be his witnesses, not only in our local area, but in our region in our country, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Why would there be such a command if he didn't expect us then to follow that by coming together as a group to learn, grow, support, and encourage, and send out? First and second Corinthians are written to the church in Corinth. Obviously, that's a local group of people gathered together for the worship of God and teaching of the word. Galatians is written to the churches throughout Galatia. Philippians is written to the saints, overseers and deacons in the churches in Philippi. What would be the need of overseers and deacons if there were not a local body of believers that need to be overseen? First and second Thessalonians are written to the church in Thessalonica. First Timothy says that a pastor must be able to control his house if he's expected to effectively run a church, a body of believers. Titus was charged to get the churches in order and set up pastors to oversee the local assembly. In James chapter 2, we are taught not to show favoritism to those who enter our church gatherings just because of their clothing. Some of you may wonder why we are casual in our appearance and in our dress here in church, why we don't make a big deal of having to dress up. That's exactly why. You come as you are. Come as you are to church. That's a command from the word of God. I don't care. I just want to see you here. I just want to be here. I just want, and, and you know, uh, the, the coffee and donuts, and you can bring it in here. People are surprised sometimes. And our philosophy here is we care more about a stained life than a stained chair. I don't really care. We can clean that up, man. I'd rather have people here. You want to roll out of bed at 1045 in your jammies and stop and get, you know, a, a bacon, egg, and cheese at Dunkin' with a coffee and come in here and dine on your breakfast while you dine on the word. That's fine with me. I just want to see you here. First Peter, the elders are charged with shepherding the flock of local believers. Second Peter, we're warned to not allow false teachers to bring false teaching in the group. In Revelation, Jesus tells John to write seven letters to local churches in different locations as prophetic teaching for us 
who would follow. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives his followers specific instructions how to deal with church discipline in a local body. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the local church in Jerusalem to establish churches throughout the region. The local churches in Jerusalem in the book of Acts took up collections to help the brothers and sisters in local churches from other areas. This is just a brief overview I mean, we could go into each of the epistles that Paul wrote to the local churches. And some of them, he said, once you've read this here, you send it on to other churches so that they can read it. And you read the one that I sent and wrote to them. This is just that we, we, could, we could dig down like we are on Wednesday nights in Philippians and find out more about what Paul is saying about how we are to react and respond and work together with each other within a local body so that we can be successful. The New Testament is all about how we as individuals come together, first of all, choose to follow Jesus Christ, give our lives to him, and then come together in a local body called a church and work together to establish ministry that helps us grow and build, and we'll talk about this in a second, and then reaches out to our community and tells them about Jesus Christ. He wrote it so that we would have the structure of healthy, vibrant functionality within a local church. All of this scriptural support is undeniable that the Bible teaches that we are to be a part of a local body of believers. And the crowning passage of scriptural support for faithful church attendance is found in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where we're told, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. Listen, that's that means exactly what it says. That means exactly what it says. We're not to neglect it. We're not to stay away. Listen, there are reasons why we live in a 24-7 society. Sometimes you have to work. I understand that completely. What he's talking about here is this. When the, church, when the church meets, that should be your priority. That should be your priority. That should be the priority for your family. Listen, moms and dads, you want to raise successful children? Be part of a local church. No doubt about No doubt in my mind. I am committed to that. I'm raising, uh, my wife and I are raising children number four and five. Four A and four B. Twins, right? The number one, one, number one thing we, we need is to have them involved in church. I want my boys to grow up in church. I want them to know about church. I want them to understand that this is important. What we do here is not a country club. What we do here is not a social gathering. What we do here is important for ourselves, for our family, and for the cause of Jesus Christ. You want to have a purpose for your family? Find your purpose in Jesus Christ through the local church. And I think New Life is a pretty good place to start. You want to find out how to deal with the issues? Listen, it's fashionable today when struggles come, the first thing that happens is we bail on the church. Why? We're embarrassed. We don't want people to know what's going on because we come in here with a facade. We come in here wanting everybody to think we're something that we're really not. We're all accused of being hypocrites, right? I don't go to church because it's, it's full of hypocrites. Well, come on in. If we're full of hypocrites, one more won't matter. <laughs> right? Seriously, man. Come on in. And we'll all work out our hypocrisy together. 
We'll all work out our struggles together. That's what we're here for. That's what this is about, to become functional in our lives. Listen, I may not have the struggle you have, but make no mistake, I'm a broken person. And I need the help and the medicine of Jesus Christ every day to fix my brokenness, every day. We tend to look at people and we classify and categorize people according to brokenness when we really just need to look at people and say, we're all broken and Jesus can heal us. You're just broken in a different way. You're just struggling in a different area. And if we come together and apply the principles of the teachings of the word of God, we can help mend our brokenness. And we can become functional individuals and functional parts of a church. And we can do something for Jesus Christ. That's why this church is growing. And grow Listen, it's, this is another summer where we're just seeing new people come in. Just, it's just amazing. That's not an accident. It's not because of my uh, stellar speaking abilities, my good looks. God knows it's not because of that. It's not because of anything except this. We have a group of people here at New Life Church that is seeking to learn about the word, apply it to their lives, and they want to tell other people about him. Old uh, Gaither vocal band song, Can't Stop Talking About Him. Larnell Harris sang the lead on that song. It's on YouTube. Look it up. Man, when you can't... Yeah, no, I'm not going to sing it, Cliff. No, that ain't going to happen. When you can't stop talking about Jesus, you're going to start connecting with people. You're going to start reaching them, and you're going to start bringing them in, and your church is going to continue to grow. In other words, avoiding a local body or arguing that you don't have to be part of a local body to be in God's will, here we go, is a non-biblical argument. Saying that you don't need to be part of a church to be in God's will I know that's a bold statement, but I would challenge you, prove me wrong with the word of God. Don't argue with me. Don't get mad at me. Let's have a discussion about it. Prove me wrong with the Bible because that's my standard. I'm not talking about with, uh, with what you read on the internet. I'm talking about the opinion of somebody who wrote a book. Let's get ourselves back to the source, the word of God, and let's make that our standard for what we choose to do in our lives and how we live it out. Now, let's talk about the church a little bit. As far as believers go, we have all been gifted by God. How many of you know that? You've been gifted by God with something. You've been given a gift by God with something, something in your life, God has given you a gift. We're not going to get into the list of spiritual gifts. That's, that's great Bible study to do. We're not, so we're not going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about some of them. The most important thing to understand is that you have been gifted by God. Now, I know there's a, there are great debates on whether God just takes the gifts that you were born with and enhances them for ministry or when you accept Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit that you are now given this special gifting by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's... There's arguments to and for and against and all that, but let's just focus on this one fact. No matter how you got it, you got it. You've been given a gift by God. 
The Holy Spirit indwells you, and now you have a gifting by God. That gifting was given to you for a very specific reason. Some were given more than one gift. Those gifts have been given to you for a very specific reason. Abilities, talents, gifts, whatever you'd like to call them for specific purposes within a local church. It's undisputable, factual and doctrinal teaching in the Bible that every believer in Jesus must make a decision about what they will do with these gifts. So the question isn't, am I gifted by God? The question is, what will you do with the gift he has given you? Well, I don't know what it is. You know what the best way to find out is? Dig into the word, get counseling from others, and get involved in church. I can share a passage with you that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I, w- I believe that we, we think that, we, we say, when we, when we talk about the de- he will give you the desires of your heart, that means he's going to give me a new car or give me something. I believe a better way of looking at that is when you delight yourself in God, he will place within your heart the desire you need to have to serve him effectively and to serve him powerfully and to serve him functionally. And he will reveal to you what your specific giftings are so that you can get involved in the ministry that matters most. Some of you look at uh, the, the music up here and you're like me. You can, I used to be able to play the iPod, but now I play the iPhone, right? I play the iPhone. I'm pretty good at it too. I can select, I can, I can even go and I can play one song and put a couple in cue and they play after that. It's pretty good. I'm pretty talented, right? But don't ask me to go up there because I can't play or sing. I love the ministry and the worship team. Amazing job today. I just, sometimes as a pastor, I just stop and I look around and I watch people worship and I just, I wish it could go on forever. But I can't do that. I'm not gifted that way. Maybe you look at the children's ministry and say, "Ah, I'm not really good with children. Well, there's something else for you. Youth ministry, getting involved in teaching. Some of you, some of you have the ability to teach and you just haven't allowed that to come out yet. Some of you have a great ability to counsel. We look at healing ministries as people who are faith healers. I believe healing ministry within the church is much more low-key. I believe many of, us have the, many of us have the gifting to heal people through counseling and through talking and through sharing the scriptures and helping people get over issues in their lives. Lord knows we have a lot of people that have struggling, struggle with issues in their lives and they need healing. So let's go ahead and read our text, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to make a couple comments on that and then we'll, we'll stop for today because we'll, this is going to be another two, probably two weeks after this as we go through this because this is, I believe, an incredibly important understanding, especially as, as we as a church that is pretty much, Zach and I talk a lot about this, um, about where we are. New Life has had several incarnations, even in the 17 years that I've been the pastor, we've had several different incarnations of our church. We were, this, this used to be a very, very stringent, um, old fundamental Baptist church. 
um, very hardcore. Louisa knows, remembers those days. Cliff and Sue were here. And when my dad was the pastor, did a great job. It was just a different style of ministry. So when I came in, we had to do some transitions because if we were going to minister to the community with, in which we were in and are in now, we had to do some transitioning in our services. I remember the first service I preached when my, we, my dad and I did a year's transition um, when I came back. And uh, it was required by the senior pastor, a suit, white shirt, and a tie to preach. That was, that was the way it is. I remember the first Sunday that I didn't wear a tie and jacket to church. One of the men of the church met me in the parking lot. He says, it's like 10 minutes before service. And he says, Pastor John, don't you have to get dressed for church? I said, no, I'm okay. It was a, I mean, it was a big deal. And we made those transitions. And then several different uh, transitions as we grew. And, and now this this uh, this evolution of new life is about three years old. And we, we started things all over, just made some great changes. And, and God is just doing some great things here in this church. So many of you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Of the transitions that we've gone through. So it's important, I believe, for you to understand what we believe here and where we stand and how we see and view what it is that we do here as a church, what we're here for. Ephesians chapter 4, we begin reading at verse 10. It says, The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. That's Jesus Christ. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured in, by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Some of you, that's how you feel in your walk with Jesus Christ right now. I'll guarantee it. If you were to be honest, that's exactly how you feel. You're confused about what to believe. There's so much out there. We are in the age of information. The Bible says in the end times, knowledge will increase. We're there, man. Knowledge is expanding and increasing every day. And just because you read it on the internet doesn't, be, doesn't mean it's true. We live in a generation and in a day and age of false teaching in everything. Snopes.com just came out with uh, saying that, uh, how many of you know the Babylon Bee? Heard of the Babylon Bee? That's so funny. It's a satirical website. Christian websites, they put some funny stuff out there. Snopes, uh, which is a fact-checking thing, thought it was important for them to put out that the Babylon Bee is not true. Like, well, we knew that, you know, we knew that. But the reason they did that is because people were believing. 27% of Americans, of, of people who read Babylon Bee were believing what was on Bab the Babylon Bee. Okay, it says right there, it sat there. Anyway, it's important that we understand that this is our source. This is our source. The Word of God is our source. Not your favorite website. Not your favorite books, even if you buy them from the Christian bookstore, which are great resources, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're, they're bad, but if you do not start with the source 
of the Bible, the Word of God. You can download it on your phone, folks. If you don't start with the source, your source, your foundation being the Bible, then you're building on sand. And what did the Bible say? What did Jesus teach about the two men? One built on sand, one built on rock, teaching about the word of God. The one that built on the rock, when the storms came, man, his house stood firm. The one that built on sand, when the storms came, it was washed away because his foundation was weak. Some of you, that's where you're at right now. You're tossed around with everything because you're not standing on the source. Why? Why is it such a struggle to read this? Because the enemy knows, the enemy is Satan. The enemy knows that if you get into the word of God, you're going to know the truth. And what will happen when you know the truth? The truth will set you free. That's right. The truth of the matter is, the church is a place where your giftings are supposed to begin to be used. Your giftings, your talents, your abilities, you were given them for yourself to get involved in ministry and to work that ministry out through a local church, within the church and outside of the church. Jesus, the the Bible says that he gave those gifts. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 14. By human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way, into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Each individual part. You are so valuable and so important. Can I tell you how important ligaments are to the body? I could show you the scars on my... Tim works out at the gym with me, and you, he, you see him work out, and he does things with such great ease. He gets on that, he gets on the, the arc trainer, he gets on this, and he does it with such great ease. I get on it, and I can't feel my knee. I can't feel my legs. You know why? I don't have any ligaments in that knee anymore. I don't have any ligaments in my hip. When they replaced it, they took them all out. My, did you know that the, your foot is made up of several different joints? I did not know that until they fused all mine together. You know why you have different joints in your foot? Because it allows you to balance. So when you lean over to this way, the joints move so that you have a stable platform. My joints don't move. So when I, I'm not going to do it, but if I, if I stand on this foot, I might fall right over. Listen, I would love to have fully functioning ligaments and joints in my body because I know the importance, I know the value of what God created my body with. But through foolishness and age and just military service, those things are gone. So I have to try to make up for it. They're valuable. They serve an amazing purpose. Some of you, your ligaments in the church, your joints in the church. Paul says, those are valuable parts. Every part gifted together, working together to make the body function and effective. Don't look at those who are up front 
those who are the most visible within the church and say, that's what the church is, and that's what the church is all about. The church is about you. The church is about the ligaments. The church is about the joints. The church is about the veins. The church is about the heart. The church is about the hands. The church is about the feet. Every part of the body working together. The Bible tells us that when one part of the body hurts, all the body hurts together. Our bodies have been designed to help that hurting part heal and to make up for the lack. Boy, within a church, there are areas of ministry right now that we are starting to get into because we now have people that are gifted in those areas of ministry. You see, there are things that our church can't do and we won't do until the properly gifted people come in and get involved in those ministries. So the question would be, what is the church not able to accomplish because you are not using your gifting for the glory of God in your local church? Why are we all gifted by God? What are the purposes of the individual gifts that each of us as believers have been given by God? What is the purpose? <clears throat> What's the purpose for these gifts? Is it so that we can show off? I love the voices that we have in our worship team. Many gifted voices. It's not so that they can put on a little concert for us. It's not we have lights. It's not we have all this stuff. We do it so that they can lead us in worship. They can, they can follow a tune they can sing a tune, they can play a tune, so that we can all sing along and, and, and be blessed in our hearts and offer to God a sacrifice, an offering of praise and worship. And he, in turn, is blessed by our offering, and he receives our gift, and he inhabits our praise, and he comes down and meets with us, and he touches our heart. Don't, get, don't, don't lie to me. I saw everybody this morning enjoying worship. I saw you being lifted up to heaven. I saw God getting a hold of your heart and working out some of that struggle within you, starting to heal some of the brokenness, reminding you that it can be okay if I give it to God. I saw that. I mean, that's the working of the Holy Spirit in your life through people using their gifts and talents and abilities to lead us in worship. There's a purpose for what God has gifted you with. Here in Ephesians 4, he gives us a list. The first thing is to equip believers for ministry. That's what we do here. That's what we do in Bible studies. That's what we do in our discipleship program. That's what we're doing with our children right now. We're equipping them. We're equipping you for ministry. I am making the case for the word of God saying you need to be committed and involved in your local church. Why? Because you as an individual will grow closer to the Lord and grow stronger in your faith. You'll be a better parent, a better husband, a better wife, a better leader at home, a better worker at work, a better neighbor, and a better member of our church and a more profitable, fruitful member of the church if you take the equipping that you're being given and apply it to your life. Second thing is to grow the church spiritually. Now that I'm equipped with these gifts, what do I do? Well, you need to have a spiritual basis and understanding to know where they fit in and why they are, why they are appropriate and applicable to your life. 
Why am I gifted this way? Why do I have such a desire to, to dig into the word and to learn and to share this? Why, why is my mind wired the way it is to, to, to think and to make the arguments that I make? Why do I love doing this? And how does that fit in the church? Well, it fits in so that you will grow spiritually to unify the church in its faith and in the truth of the claims of Jesus in his word, precise and correct knowledge of scripture, full-grown spiritual maturity. One of the reasons that uh, you've been given a gift to use is so that you will grow in unity within the church, will work together. Many of you are gifted in the same general areas. You have the same understandings and same abilities. You can work together in unity. And they're working together in unity you can strengthen the church and work together with others. And this ministry can work together with that ministry. And these people can work together. And we can all get the job done. It's amazing what will happen when we're unified in what we do. To become mentally strong in our doctrinal beliefs. Man, that is so valid, so, vi so, so vitally important that you know what it is that you claim to believe. Not what I believe. I'll tell you what I believe. I have no problem laying that down. But you need to know what you believe and why. The way you do that is to get, get involved in your church and learn what the Bible has to say. And you need to be mentally strong in that area. To learn to effectively communicate the love of Jesus to a fallen world. That's not, communication of the gospel is not always verbal. Communication of the gospel many times is through our actions. The way we receive people on a Sunday morning. One of the reasons I, I've told you before, uh, had a, a church growth expert, love when these guys come along, right? Church growth guy who comes in and evaluates churches and, and he came in and he was here for a while. He says, John, listen, one of the first things I do is get rid of that handshake and stuff. And he was a friend of mine. I went to high school. I said, well, you know, you're not, a, you're not a person with a real, you don't really like people, so I understand that. But that's one of the hallmarks of our church. And we want people to feel welcome. Now, people that don't like to feel welcome, maybe they, wouldn't, maybe they don't fit in. So maybe there's a church that, that would make you not feel welcome and you'll be happy. <laughs> right? But here in New Life, we, want, we truly are a family and we want you to feel like family. We think we, we consider this family dinner a Sunday morning or brunch anything that involves food I'm there we want people to feel welcome and we communicate the love of Jesus not just with our words but with our actions and we'll get into that more as we look into this message deeper and the last thing is to support each other and build each other in love and purpose by the way we treat each other and the way we stay faithful to our church and the relationships which we have built within the church. Make no mistake, one of the most important connections that will keep people in church when life goes bad is the relationships that they have formed with others. Not the great preaching, not the great children's ministry, not the whatever it is that you love about your church. It's the relationships that you have here. 
when somebody's not here and you call because you're their friend and you've earned the right to call them and say, hey, is everything okay? Well, quite honestly, no, it's not okay. And right about now, I need a friend. Those kind of relationships during the rocky, stormy types, times of life is what makes, is what keeps people here and what builds and strengthens the church connection. And when we know that we can count on each other, not just in the high points of life, but in the low points as well, then we build those relationships stronger and we realize that other people need exactly what I have here. And we begin to work to reach out to others. And we can't stop talking about Jesus. And we can't stop talking about our church. And we can't stop talking about the great things that God is doing within our lives, within our families, and within our church. And people begin to wonder, did you know that a survey was done? 80% of all unchurched people, 53% of America is considered unchurched. There's, there's now a new classification, de-churched. If you haven't been in church in over six weeks, you're considered unchurched. If you haven't been in church in over six months, you're considered de-churched, okay? 80% of all unchurched people say they would go to church if they were invited by a friend. Awesome. <laughs> well, well, if that's true, why aren't we inviting our friends? Because we're afraid? What are we afraid of? You're gifted by God to reach these people. And you may not be gifted in the specific area that they need, but somebody here is. Somebody here has got that gift that will connect that person, that will reach that person, that will help that person right where they're at. But they're never going to make that connection if you don't invite them to your church. Because see, most people don't think church is important. But you, <laughs> you, you know that's not true. You know that the church is a vital part of your life because you've connected to it and you've proven it in your life and you've tried life without church and now that you've got life with church, you can't imagine living it any other way. You see, that's what happens when you connect with your church, when you realize the vital importance of a local body of believers of getting yourself up on a Sunday morning with a great thing now called, um, um, D, what is that? Yeah, I see, I don't even know what it is. Where you can record TV? DVR. DVR, DVR. Such a tough thing to remember. Yeah. We have DVRs for you football fans, even Broncos fans. Of DVR. And you can, you can set your DVR and not listen, not look at your phone, not look and listen to the radio on the way home, and you cannot miss the game. See, there's no excuse anymore to miss being in church. And why would you want to? Because you know how important it is to your life. You know how important it is to your family. You know how important it is for your children. You know how important it is for your marriage. You know how important it is for your life. Man. Hey, next week, we're going to be looking at some of the things that Jesus did. and We're going to learn what to do 
with what we learn, what we need to do with the things that we learn in here and out there. In here, it's so important. If you're not strong at home, you're not going to be strong away. But we also need to learn to take it out there because, man, that's where they need it. It's so vital, so important. Some of you, your kids are going back to school. East Long Meadow, they start on Tuesday, right? Springfield doesn't start until after Labor Day, right? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh, Springfield starts tomorrow. Oh, excuse me. Wow, tomorrow. That's why everybody was smiling this morning. Yeah. Wow, Springfield parents. Woo! Ah! School starts tomorrow. We got Tuesday, Long Meadow. You have to wait until Thursday. Chickabee, you guys start this week? Thursday. Chickabee starts Thursday. Yeah, look at that. Hey, man, we rejoice and we joke around a lot about it, but you know what I'm doing for my two sons? I'm praying for them right now. Because like I told you last week, my two boys were told by their, one of my boys, Gabriel, was told last year by his teacher, you're not allowed to talk about God in school. Hmm. We had a conversation about that, both of our boys. I said, you go ahead and you talk about God all you want. You let daddy deal. Mommy and daddy will deal. But let daddy, because mommy will be a house of fire. <laughs> all right? Wow. <clears throat> we'll take care of that. I want my boys to be proud of their faith. But I'll tell you what, I'm praying for them. And I'm praying for you, parents, because we're sending our children out into a world that doesn't believe what we believe. We're sending lights, we're sending little lights into the darkness to shine the light of Jesus. Children? Absolutely children. Eight over, eight, I think it's, Either 80 or 90% of all people that accept Jesus Christ do so before the age of 18. Why do you think Satan doesn't want your children to live their faith? Why do you think Satan wants those teachers to tell them they can't talk about God? Because his chances are greater of, not, of keeping those lives in his camp after they get out of school. Hey, church, let's be strong together. Let's take what we do here seriously. Let's realize that we're gifted and talented for a purpose. And that purpose is inside these walls and outside these walls. Listen, I don't care what, what your past is. Jesus has a purpose for you. I don't care how you've messed up. Jesus has a purpose for you. And all we want to do is help you live that out. Hey, come back next week, and we'll talk some more about it, all right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, God. My goodness. I, I'm just so full this morning, Lord. What an amazing day it's been in your house. What an awesome time of worship. What a great time talking about what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for these people who chose to come out on a Sunday morning, a beautiful day, and worship and fellowship. Lord, I know that life is a struggle, and I know that we have so many things banging up against us. But would you give us clear, clear minds and clear thoughts 
so that we will understand what it is that we're facing in life and what you have done for us, the gift that you've given to us, so that we can use that gift to not just build your church and grow your church and strengthen your church, but reach the world with your message, with your gospel. Lord, would you challenge us and encourage us to seek out our gifting in you. Lord, this week is a big, big week for our families and for our children. Lord, they're going out as sheep among wolves many times. Father, would you place a covering over our children? Would you build a hedge around them? Lord, the things that they've learned and been taught at home by mothers and fathers who care, the things that they've been taught and they've learned here at church, God, would you, would you dig that soil deep and plant that seed deep? And would you water it with the, with, with the prayers and the tears of your saints who are praying for these children and concerned about these children? And would you grow that seed? into fruit in their lives so that they'll be strong, Lord, and that their faith will be strong. And God, that their lights might be bright and that they might be the witness, the testimony, even the little ones, God. You said, allow the little children to come to me because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. God, let our little ones shine their light and may we as the adults, as the mature ones, may we pray for them. May we support them and encourage them and love them. Help them any way we can. God, as summer winds up, would you just bring us together as a church, those who are on vacation, those who are coming, will be coming back, just bring them back, Lord. Just continue the work that you've started here at New Life. And may we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. May you have the preeminence in all things in our lives and especially in our church. Bless us as we go. God, may we honor you in all things. May we go forward as worshipers, as missionaries, as lights in a dark world. For it's in your name we pray and ask all these things.